This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at FOTF.ca. I like Beverly Cleary because the book I'm reading has ballet in it. My favorite book is Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes because it basically transports you into another dimension. My favorite book is Double Vision by a local author. It's fun, mysterious, fun. Well, I wonder if you had a favorite book as a child. Well, your host on today's episode of Focus on the Family is Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and we're going to have a delightful conversation about reading as a family. Okay, some people just went, what? Delightful about reading? Because it freaks them out. Some people do get a little <laughs> bothered by but that. This but this is great. It's and there's rich. wonderful evidence to yeah. show that as a parent, when you read aloud with your kids, it will really help your children in so many different ways. And uh, it is true that we are in a busy, tech-driven world, but there is something wonderful about sitting down in the evening and reading a story aloud with mm-hmm. your children. Here at Focus, these are the kind of tools that we want to make available to you and kind of little, uh, you know, bits of wisdom to say this is a wonderful way to inspire your children to read not just uh, when they're four five and six but hopefully when they're 30 40 and Mm -hmm. 50. yeah that's a great gift for a parent to see your child glom onto grab onto and love to read and uh, our guest today is going to help us understand just how we can do that more effectively as moms and dads. Our guest is Sarah McKenzie, and uh, she's a very popular blogger, a podcaster, a speaker, and her book is The Read Aloud Family, Making Meaningful and Lasting Connections with Your Kids. Uh, We've got that and a copy of our conversation at focusonthefamily.ca, and Sarah and her husband Andrew live with their kids in Spokane, Washington. Sarah, welcome to Focus. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, how did you get started in this? I mean, thinking, okay, reading aloud to my kids will be a good thing. Yeah, you know, when my oldest, so we have six kids, and when my oldest, who's now 16, was one, I stumbled across Jim Trelease's The Read Aloud Handbook at a friend's house. And that was the first time I was introduced to this idea that reading, we don't just read aloud to our kids so that they can read to themselves. I always sort of thought of it like you read aloud to your kids when they can't read, and then once they're able to read, you and they start reading on their own, and yes. that's always preferred. But that was the first book that really opened my eyes to the fact that reading aloud has a value outside of that. You even said it can change the world. Well, here's the thing. Um, Every single time that we read a story, we get to step in the shoes of somebody else and walk a mile in their shoes. So if we think about this with our kids, we want to prepare them for the world and give them God's heart for the world and help them see that everybody else in the world is an image of God and has this beautiful story. So if we're able to read story after story after story with our kids, we give them so much practice walking a mile in the shoes of someone else. Yeah. You've got a podcast that is really popular. I mean, millions of people uh, listen into your podcast. Why is this idea of reading aloud to your family and your kids particularly, why is it catching hold? It's so funny. We just passed the 4 million download mark on the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Wow. Which is, Say it again. I, What's the name of it? Read Aloud Revival. Okay. Yep. And I started it uh, kind of on a whim about four years ago because I just wanted to share what Reading Aloud had done with the 
relationships in my own home. Do you have a degree in English or what? I don't. No, I just I have a degree in children apparently because I have six of them. So <laughs> that's a PhD, by yeah, the way. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and what I think happened, and I may, it really shocked me, but I think maybe it shouldn't have because. What happened when people listened and started reading with their kids or were just expressing what happened when they started reading with their kids? When we are, as parents today, we are so, we're pulled in a million directions. We want so badly to do things that make an impact in our kids' lives. And I think when we realize that simply opening a book and sharing a story with our kids can make such a profound impact on them and on the greater world as a whole, it just, it makes us almost fanatics about it because it's so transformative. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, because that busy factor, we sometimes use that as an excuse, obviously. You know, I'm tired. I can remember when our kids were really small, I'd get home and Gene right away would say, here are the kids, take the kids quickly. I need a break. I need a break. And so I'm just coming in from work going, can I change my clothes? And, you oh, know, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. She has was... her chocolate stash in the bathroom. Running she was running from the front door, actually. So yeah. she had some bad days. Yeah. But the point is, how do we refocus ourselves to say, this is important. I've got mm. to be open and not be selfish, if I could be that bold, yeah. uh, to get my downtime, <laughs> you know, get my chocolate time. Yeah. How do we recenter ourselves to say, okay, I've got to sit and read with my kids? And what age do you start? Okay, there's a couple things going on there, I think. One is that when we think about powerful, impactful things we can do with our kids, those feel big, like we need to do something giant to make that happen. But what is true is that we don't even have to read aloud every day. If you were to read aloud, say, 10 minutes every other day with your kids, that's 35 minutes over a week, like a half an hour-ish, right? Not right. much. That's 30 hours over the course of a year. Yeah. And we do this year over year. It's like drops in a bucket that yeah. grow over time. So if we sort of... Uh, relieve ourselves of the burden or the pressure that it needs to be this big, amazing thing. Every night at seven. Exactly. Right. Even when you're tired, even when you're sick or whatever. And we just think, well, what if we tried to hit it for a small pockets of time most days? What would that look like? That sort of relieves us of the big burden of it. Um, the other thing, though, I think is just like in all the other parts of parenting, the things that make the lasting impact, the things that really transform our relationships with our kids, you can't see the results of them right away. So it's not like you sit down and you read the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and your kids pop up and they're suddenly more virtuous. <laughs> right? It could I happen. Wish. I mean, I guess it could happen. <laughs> but it doesn't usually happen that way in my home. And a lot of times, too, it doesn't look like we think it should. You know, the kids are sitting on the couch and they're hitting each other with their toes and I'm threatening kids on pain of death that they are to stay on their own cushion <laughs> and like listen. I like your style. Yes. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though, because this can be a real frustration for a parent who's trying and is more systematic about their approach. How, how do they relax when you, particularly your son, you know, he's five years old, he's bouncing off the walls, you're reading the story. And what you end up doing so often is getting upset. Johnny, come over here, sit down, listen to mommy or daddy, you know, and they're going, check out, check out. I'm not here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so the more we make it a confrontational thing, you're, you're pretty much, you lost the game yeah. already. Yeah. It needs to be more of an invitation, I think, an invitation to enjoy time together. I think one of the things that's helpful to remember is the story, as important and as powerful as the story is, isn't actually as impactful as a child feeling like my parent wants to spend time with me. They pick those things up at they an early age, don't they? Yeah. Let's talk about more of the benefits of reading aloud to your kids. What yeah. are some of the things that, uh, as they grow, that they express, these children that have been read to? Yeah, so we know that reading aloud with kids who cannot read yet, that is reading aloud is the number one thing we can do to help them be successful in school. Wow. So when it comes to your young kids, there's nothing better you can do. Um, there's actually some really interesting research that shows that you can put your kids in really high-end private schools or pay for tutoring. Really reading aloud with your kids, 
every day will make a bigger impact than either of those things. Will. And it's cheaper. And it's way <laughs> cheaper. <laughs> That's the good news. That's uh, the good news. You have a story when your children were younger about taking them to the zoo to see a walrus. Mm-hmm. I think this has kind of proven the point I was just making. But what happened? So I had taken my kids to the zoo. And like so many parents, you know, I'd so- you sort of f- start feeling like you're dragging your kids around thinking if you're going to enjoy this because I just paid a fortune to get <laughs> That's in right. here. Uh, so what we had done is we ended up getting a membership so that we could sort of take this leisurely. No stress. No stress. Yeah, exactly. So I decided to ask my kids, what do you want to go see? They wanted to go see the walrus. Now, I knew what it was like to see the walrus at this particular zoo because I'd been there before. And you have to wait for a while at the viewing area where until it comes out into where you can see it. So we're standing there. We're waiting and waiting. And I tell them it's coming. Well, soon the, the water starts to ripple. My kids were probably, I would say, seven, five, and three maybe or somewhere okay. around there. So we're standing there, and the water starts to ripple. And I say, oh, my goodness, kids, here it comes. Watch, watch. And all of a sudden, the walrus bursts into view. And my little girl, who was maybe four or five, says, oh, mommy, look. And I look down at her, you know, excited to see her face as she's seeing this Connecting walrus. with the walrus. Exactly. <laughs> she's on her hands and knees looking at an ant on the sidewalk, <laughs> carry like a little piece of leaf or food particle bigger than itself. And at the time, you know, my first thought was sort of like an ant or a walrus. But what I realized is these are the little moments. These I would have missed that moment. And there's so many moments like that in parenting where I would miss those small moments, the ant moments, in mm. favor of looking for the big, splashy, amazing moment. That is good. Like the ant. You only get that at a zoo, you know, ant hills. <laughs> <laughs> you also talk about uh, in the book, The Read Aloud Family, um, the f- faith-oriented you know, benefits of reading aloud. How do we connect that to where the kids aren't going, oh, this is boring? Yeah. I think one of the things that we have to realize is that stories, whether or not they're overtly faith-based or religious or not, stories are how God made us, how he speaks to us. He spoke to us through story. They're a part of who we are. And so just the nature of telling stories to our children, whether we're reading them from a book or we're saying them to them, we're reading from the Bible or or another kind of story, it feeds that thing that God put in us as humans to want to connect with story, to understand the world through stories. And one of the things that's so amazing to me is if we read enough stories and we and we walk all those miles in other people's shoes, uh, we end up looking around and seeing all of this magnificent world and all the magnificent people he put here as a gift from God, and we can respond to it in a different way. Huh, I like that. Yeah. It, it does give you empathy for other people and other mm-hmm. situations that you may not be experiencing because yeah. you're reading about them. Uh, when your kids were younger, you read The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. <laughs> now, I've got to say, we've got to think about the spiritual context of this, mm-hmm. but we can apply great spiritual truths from secular stories like that. You know, the fact that the lion's all about courage and the tin man about heart yeah. and wisdom and all those good things that are biblical truths. How do we connect those dots for our kids? And what happened in your particular case mm-hmm. with The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, so I was reading The Wizard of Oz, wonderful Wizard of Oz with my kids, which is, I think, so much more delightful than the movie. The movie really um, scared me as a kid. So <laughs> I didn't realize was how much of an opportunity the book would provide us to have these great conversations. So we get to the part in the book where the Tin Woodman and the Scarecrow are debating about what's more important, either a brain or a heart. And so I stop reading and I look up on my girls and say, okay, what do you think is more important? 
a brain or a heart? And of course, my firstborn go-getter daughter says, without even <laughs> thinking about brains, obviously. Of course. And her sister says, no, no, you need to love. How would we love God? And how would we love others? And Audrey says, well, how would you know who to love? So we kind of do this whole debate thing. Well, then we keep going and we read about the lion who needs courage. And we realize we can't let any of these things override another. We need to nurture our intellect as a gift from God. We need to nurture our ability to love others, which is a gift from God. And we need to have the courage to face our fears, which is also a gift from God. And I don't know that I would have had that conversation with my five and seven-year-old at the dinner table if I didn't have the story to lead us there. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Have you checked out Joy TV yet? Tune in for your daily source of hope-filled, positive Christian programming. From breaking news reported from a Christ-centered perspective every weeknight. To award-winning and crowd-pleasing Christian programs, we're serving up Christ's joy around the clock. Find Joy TV on Rogers Channel 173, Bell Channel 656, Shaw Channel 10, Telus Channel 123, or visit joytv.ca today. Joy TV, it's more than you imagined. Hi, this is Jim Daly. Is your family feeling tired, restless, even stressed out? Well, you're not alone. These are tough times, and that's why we at Focus on the Family have created something new and helpful for you and your loved ones. It's called Focus at Home, a free on-demand streaming service featuring the faith-filled content from Focus on the Family that you know and trust. With Focus at Home, it's like you're getting access to our content vault. Explore old favorites like Adventures in Odyssey or Radio Theater. Discover new interactive children's stories. And we'll have a few surprises for you along the way. There's something fun for every member of the family. And we'll keep adding fresh titles so you can check in every day. Best of all, it's 100% biblically based. Sign up now and get total access to our best content for families during this challenging season. Visit FocusOnTheFamily.ca focusonthefamily.ca Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Sarah, let's pick up where we left off a moment ago. How do we set ourselves up uh, as a parent to do this well? Because you're outgoing. I could see that, I mean, it fits your personality. And I could see why you've written a book on this and the outcomes are good. But what about the mom that may be more introverted, Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't follow the same pattern personality-wise as you do. Yeah. H- how do we set people up for success? Well, I think there's a couple things we can do to make this easier because we don't need to make this harder than it already is, right? One of them is to use audiobooks. So sometimes I hear parents say they feel like audiobooks um, or audio dramatizations are cheating or <laughs> because it's easy and enjoyable to pop a story in on the in the car and listen to it. But what we're really going for are a couple of things. We're going for... Um, Grammatically correct, sophisticated language patterns coming in through the ear. That's where the academic benefits come Mm. from in reading. And we're also going for the shared experience of having lived through a story with our kids Mm -hmm. or or shared a story with our kids. Now, if we're listening to a story in the car, say on a road trip or on your way to church or basketball practice, then you get both of those things. You get the grammatically correct, sophisticated language patterns, and you get the connection of sharing a story without you having to do the reading. So if uh, anyone listening is thinking, I want this, but I'm not sure about me doing the reading myself, uh, you can use audiobooks where there are amazing you know, narrators who are doing a really good job, and they make it easier for you. No, that's a good, a good thing. But also stretch yourself a little. Don't underestimate 
being able to have inflection mm-hmm. and creativity in your voice, it helps you too, right? It does. And one of the things that um, is really has really helped me and my husband, who's a little bit less uh, extroverted <laughs> than I am when he's reading, is if you just slow down or speed up, that can have an amazing difference in the reading itself. So if you are thinking, I don't want to do character voices, you don't have to do character voices, but try to read some characters a little faster and some characters a little slower, and you might be surprised at how much depth that offers to you. That's amazing. That's great. Uh, Little advice there. Uh, Creating a book club or reading group within the family. That's kind of fun too. Focus, we have a lot of read-along books based on Adventures and Odyssey and other things too. Radio theater, all those dramatizations of C.S. Lewis and others. Uh, It's good stuff. It is good stuff. So um, when we talk about creating a book club culture in our home, the thing that um, it it just really came to light for me not too long ago was I realized that when I go to a book club meeting with my girlfriends, let's say, and I walk in, what happens, nobody hands me a a quiz and says, I want you to take this quiz to make sure that you, we want to make sure that you read the book, that you actually understood the book. Nobody gives, asks me to write a five paragraph essay, right? Right. It's not a test. It's not a test. It's not like my English classes. I was growing up in school. See, I knew you had some of those. (laughs) (laughs) What happens? too, presumably. Yeah, right. Well, presumably. (laughs) What happens? Um, instead at my adult book clubs is that we get together and we enjoy you know food and drink and good conversation and each other and we get to know each other a little better through the experience of the book what if we took that idea of a book club culture and we and that's how we interacted with books with our kids and so if we made it more delight based if we wanted to talk with our kids about the books that they're reading or that we're reading together as a way to just open up a good conversation and not as a quiz that could have a big impact. Let me ask you probably the hardest question, because in this culture today, we're, we're set free as parents because of screens and technology. Mm. And I, I don't mean that in a positive way, but it, it's such an easy thing to let your kids watch videos and kind of veg out while you get all the things done on your to-do list. Um, speak to that, because when you're talking about reading aloud to your children, um, it does take time, but it also is more productive time. It's better time, I think, I'm a, my wife's even more so this way, but we're not big on screen time for kids. We think it's it's less productive. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on there, I think. One is that you'll never regret the time you spend reading with your kids. That's right. You very well may regret the time you spend letting your kids you know, mindlessly stare at their screens or that you do it yourself. And I'm raising my hand here. I'm not pointing fingers for yeah, sure. Yeah, we do it too. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's been really interesting to think about is that your kids probably won't choose reading or choose read aloud time if screens are also an option at the same time. I know that myself, I, I see myself as a reader. I want to read a lot. I set reading goals, things like that, right? I go to bed. I might bring my iPhone with me and set, I say to myself, I'm just setting the alarm. That's You're right. So but I, one more email. Yeah, exactly. Well, one right. more text. So I set my alarm and I get into bed and I read a paragraph in my book and I think, oh, I was going to check that one thing, just one thing. And, you know, a half an hour later, I'm still mm-hmm. scrolling on my phone. Well, I think, goodness, I am a grown woman who wants to be a reader and still has to sort of fight that siren song of my phone. How much more temptation must our kids be experiencing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if what we need to do is not necessarily take away screens. Not ne- We don't need to swing the pendulum that far, but offer our kids some pockets of time in the day where screens are not an option. Mm-hmm. Because what it does is it takes away that stress of their fear of missing out. It takes away the stress of making the choice. And we say, we're going to make a choice for you. So in my house, for example, our kids, we send them to bed and they can stay up for another um, half an hour or an hour if they want to read, but they can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's it, good. Yeah. So then they don't have the, it's not that stressful choice of, do I want to play on my video game or do I want to read? Yeah. They have one choice. Right. 
I like that. Right. That's really good. You mentioned in your book the five keys of conversation. Let's just hit a couple of those. Um, h- how do we entice the conversation? You know, having two teenage boys, it's kind of like, how was school today? Good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how was dinner? Great. Yeah. <laughs> how was whatever? It's always a one-word answer. I, you know, you're going, can you give me a sentence? Yeah. If you ask your child, did you like the book, they will always give you a yup yes. or a yep. nope. <laughs> or if it's a, your son, you might grunt one or the other, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, what I think really, really helps is if we need to somehow convince our children we're not looking for a right answer. Mm. Because then it's not an invitation. Oh, and for they're a not intimidated. Right. No, that's really good. I mean, if my husband was to ask me a question that I knew there was a right, he was like quizzing me, that's not an invitation to have a good conversation, right? I, if he asked me a question about some a movie we watched, say, together, and he's just asking about what happened at a certain time in the movie, and I'm thinking I'm going to get it wrong, that's, that doesn't feel good. But if he's going to ask me a question that invites me in a conversation with him about the story we just experienced together, now that's different. So if we can go into those conversations with our kids, extending an invitation. And I think the best way to do this is just to ask an open-ended question that doesn't have a right or wrong answer. So a good example of this would be, who do you think is the most blank in this story? And you can fill that blank with any character trait. So who do you think is the most courageous in this story? Because then when your child gives an answer, let's just go back to The Wizard of Oz, for example. Um, who is the most courageous? If somebody says Dorothy, you can say, well, what did she do that was that made her so courageous. It extends the conversation. It extends mm-hmm. it. It gives them an opportunity to go back to the book and explain something. Um, and it also, it, there's no fear of getting the right answer because maybe she is, maybe she isn't. Maybe the Tin Woodman yeah. was the most courageous. Maybe the lion was, right? Mm-hmm. That's so true. Uh, at the end here, I want to get some recommendations, age-appropriate recommendations. Oh, fun. Yeah, this is always <laughs> fun. This is kind of like plugged in our movie review, but yeah. we're going to do it with you for books for awesome. appropriate ages. So zero to three, what kind of books would you read aloud to these kids? Yeah, you want to look for books that are repetitive because zero to threes love repetition. And another thing to keep in mind is it is sometimes preferable to have just a few favorite books at that age than it is to have a huge stack of never-ending board books or whatever. So one of the books that I really love for zero to threes is, well, anything by Sandra Boynton is really fun. The Going to Bed book. Um, the Giant Jumpery is a fantastic book by Helen Oxenbury and Julia Donaldson. It's it's newer, but it's one of those books I'm pretty sure is going to be a classic. Basically, you want a book that has not very much text but invites your zero to three-year-old into a story. The biggest thing we want to remember for zero to threes is that we want them to connect books with warm family memories. Huh. So it's not that important if you're not reading every single book on every single page. It's important that your child learns that books equal delight. Yeah, that's good. Four to mm. seven? Four to sevens, that's really fun. There are a gazillion picture books that are so wonderful. My fairy favorites are the Streganona books by Tommy DePaola. Tommy oh, DePaola has written some. What seven. an artist. I know, just amazing, right? He's got that kind of art where you can, you know it's his before you see his name huh. because it's so iconic. Also, Chris Van Dusen has written some really funny rhyming picture books. My, one of my favorites is The Circus Ship. And his artwork really adds to the story. So you feel like you can read the book, but you can stare at those pictures a little longer than necessary. I think the most important thing with four to sevens is to remember that teaching our kids to read for themselves is not actually more important than continuing to read aloud. So we don't want to value teaching them the skill of reading over continuing to read aloud. Now, one of the things, this is not a reading example, but one of the things we would do at the dinner table when our boys were young, we did rhyming games. Give me all the words you can come up with, dime, 
Oh, There's yeah. quite a few. Dime's a great word. Yeah. But then also we would put sentences together. We'd each start a story. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, there was a bear. <laughs> and then you'd pass it to the next person. Yeah. And we'd go around the table and create our own story. That's kind of fun, too. That is really fun. And it, <laughs> it, again, it ties stories to delight and right. humor and enjoyment. Right? Oh, we had so much fun, laughter, the whole bit. So yeah. that zero to three, four to seven. We'll even post these, John, on the website Good so idea. people, if they're driving, yeah. they don't have to worry about writing it down. Eight to 12, what would you recommend? Yeah, this is secretly or not so secretly my favorite age group to read aloud. Why? What do they exhibit that you like? I think the stories written for 8 to 12 year olds are some of the most trans... They're the kind of books that a lot of us will look back on when we think, what turned me into a reader? Yes, Yes, exactly. What stories shaped you most as a child? They're oftentimes books in this age group, you know, pointed at this age group. Um, It's also the age when most of us stop reading to our kids because they're reading on their own. So it's like, it's an inflection point kind of. It's a really important time to continue reading with them. Some of my absolute favorites are those written by E.B. White, which we know of as Starlet's Web and Stuart Little. But my very favorite of his is The Trumpet of the Swan, probably one of the most influential children's book writers of his time. Mm-hmm. Now, the, for the person going, wow, we're talking a lot about secular books or non-Christian books per se, let's emphasize the importance of spiritual reading as well, Christian-based reading. Reading stories out of the Bible are terrific. Yes, and um, the Jesus Storybook Bible that's published by Zonervan, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. A good friend of mine, too. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I mean, these stories, I have to tell you a funny story about this. Uh, we were at a, my older daughter's piano recital, and I had brought some books with to try to keep the little kids quiet, right, during the recital. One of them was the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this older lady who comes to our church had come to the recital to watch the girls. She was sitting with us. So she takes one of my small kids on her lap, and they have the Jesus Storybook Bible, and they're just flipping through it. And all of a sudden, I see her kind of looking at it and looking at it, and, look, and now she's full on reading it for the rest of the recital. So afterwards, she says, can I borrow this and take this home? And she took it home and read it cover to cover and used it in her Bible study. I mean, I think the Jesus Storybook Bible is one of those children's Bibles that can give us as parents a whole new perspective on those mm-hmm. stories we've heard time and time again and reach us in a new way. Yeah. Okay, we've thrown you all the softballs. Here comes the fastball. Yeah. Teens. Oh, teens. I mean, what, what do we do with these guys that are, you know, yes. they're reading – by themselves, yes. reading a lot of homework. How yeah. do we keep them engaged with pleasure reading? Okay, the first thing is to, you can't just sit your teen down and start reading Put a aloud timer to on. them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'll feel like you've made them into a project, which no teen is going to respond no. well to, right? So a really good way is to, again, go back to those audiobooks. Pop an audiobook in the car, something like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or The Hobbit, or The Fellowship of the Ring. Something where you're... Your teen will have a hard time not listening, right. not getting wrapped up in it, but they don't feel like it's aimed at them. It's just mm-hmm. like a family experience. One of the things I have found with reading with my teens to be just amazing is that it these stories offer us a way to talk about things that are happening in our culture, in the world, in the news, in a way that feels safe and comfortable to talk about and opens up. It's almost like a gateway to some really good conversations where we can talk about these things that feel very relevant and hard to talk about. Maybe those topics I don't really want to bring up, but I know that we should talk about. Mm-hmm. The stories oftentimes lend themselves well to those conversations. With that is teams. great. I'm going to take your advice. <laughs> Sarah, this has been so much fun and what a wonderful reminder of reading aloud to your children, the importance of it and the benefits which are there. Um, It's been terrific having you with us. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Some really great ideas to enrich this um, enforced extended time at home with your children. And I think you'd agree that uh, there was a lot of creativity in what Sarah had to share. Now, there are some other screen-free ways to keep your kids occupied that we want to make you aware of. Uh, Focus on the Family is extending the free trial membership to our Adventures in Odyssey Club. 
It's now a 30-day membership, no credit card required. We're very excited that over 66,000 people have signed up just in the past couple of weeks. And with the membership, you can stream every episode, over 800 of them, of this popular children's radio drama and find some special bonus content as well. Learn more about that and Sarah's great book, The Read Aloud Family, when you're at our website. If you can, please make a donation to this ministry as we continue working to encourage your family uh, during stressful times. And while you're at the website, be sure to get a copy of Sarah's book, The Read Aloud Family. Uh, We do have our shipping department up and running, so we'll send that book out to you just as soon as we know you want one. Uh, Request that when you call us. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or you can get the book, make a donation if you can, and sign up for the free trial of the Adventures in Odyssey Club, all at focusonthefamily.ca. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.